name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. So, Anthony DeMello, who's a Jesuit I like, but he's, I like him because he's funny. He's a funny Jesuit. I don't know if there's a lot of those around, but I like him for that. He told this story about fear. Um, this gentleman knocks on his son's door, and he says, James, James, wake up. And James answered, I don't want to get up, Papa. And the father shouts, get up, you have to go to school. And James says, I don't want to go to school. Why not, asks the father. Three reasons, says James. First, because it's so dull. Second, the kids tease me. Third, I hate school. And the father says, well, I'm going to give you three reasons why you must go to school. First, it's your duty. Second, it's because you're 45 years old. And third, because you're the principal. Get up. Even principals can be afraid. Kids don't think that. If you ask kids if adults are afraid, they're like, no, they don't think we're afraid. But we are, kids, just letting you know. We're just as afraid as you are, but we can just cover it up a lot better. So the word fear is in the Bible 385 times, which I take this to mean that being human is to have fear, or else why would it be in there? It's hardwired by God into the part of your brain that keeps you safe. It's always kind of scanning the horizon for something to um, keep you safe. So one of the fears that I have, which may or may not be from that same place, is that I have a fear of looking stupid. I don't know if that's one of your fears, but it's one of my fears I've had to identify. I don't think there's an acronym for it. I don't think there's an FOLS or FOLS yet, but I have not met one person who has escaped this particular fear. It's so widespread that the Journal of Intelligence published a study, of course, a study, called What is Stupid? In the hopes of saving us from it calls, this is part of it, it, this is a quote, it is trying to save us from engaging in amazing, breathtaking acts of stupidity. So that right there makes you curious, doesn't it? Like, I want to know what a breathtaking act of stupidity is. We're not talking IQ, just right there. We're not talking IQ. We're not making fun of stupid people. We're, make, we're talking about stupid acts, right? In fact, the researchers specify that the higher your IQ, the greater your propensity to engage in stupidity. So, 90% of the participants surveyed agreed on three different behaviors that were labeled stupid or contribute to what they called the imbalance theory of foolishness. So if anyone calls you stupid, you can say, no, it's I'm imbalanced in the theory of foolishness. But these are the three things. Overconfidence, you thought you could, but you couldn't. So this includes things like um, thinking you can jump over obstacles like cars on your skateboard. Um, remodeling your bathroom or kitchen based on that HGTV show you watched. Um, deciding that maybe you could be a day trader despite your abysmal credit history, but you're going to try it anyway, right? Absent-mindedness. So you weren't paying attention when you did it. Locking your keys in your car, forgetting your child at the babysitters. Okay, I've done that, I'm just saying. Even Mary, and, Mary did that too. Mary and Joseph left Jesus, just remember that. They left their child at the babysitters. Um, missing an appointment, forgetting to check your gas tank, not paying a bill. Okay, we've all done some of those. 
Lack of control is the third one. You know you shouldn't, but you did it anyway. So this is like stocking up on wine the day before you said you were going to quit drinking. Um, hitting play next at 11.30 p.m., even though you know you're getting up for work the next day. Saying yes when you wanted to say no again, right? You said yes, no, but you meant to say no. So are you afraid of doing something stupid or at least doing something that other people would think is stupid? That's why we're hooked on shows like Breaking Bad or Succession or any reality show or TikTok or any murder shows because we think to ourselves, I wouldn't do that if I were you. We can see them doing it, right? You're like, no, that's not going to turn out well. But we comfort ourselves by saying, well, at least I didn't do that. I'm not that stupid, right? So we kind of have a little thing with ourselves. But guess what? Because of the effects of sin on the world, or what Fleming Rutledge calls the X factor, or I don't know if you've seen Jonah Hill's therapist show, Stutz, he calls it part X, we are almost daily or hourly the person doing the stupid thing that has hurt someone else. We're in collision with other people all the time. So my particular forte is the lack of control category. For instance, I share something that is not mine to share just in order to kind of make a connection with you, trying to hotwire that friendship or make you think something about me, kind of massage or manipulate your idea of who I am. Of course, I'm also guilty of overconfidence and overestimating my abilities, which I think might, might also be about that I thought I could preach about stupidity today. That might be part of that. But the one that gets me right in the heart, like uh, right in, is the absent-minded forgetting. Oh man, that just, that really slays me. Especially forgetting anything about my kids or missing an appointment, which just ends in a spiral of shame, of feeling stupid. How could I have done that? I, so I didn't think this was such a big problem for myself until I heard one of my relatives calling herself stupid and I said, you are not stupid. To which she turned to me and replied, you say it to yourself all the time, I've heard you. And I thought, oh, she's right, right, just slips out, doesn't it? Because in my family, being intelligent and smart and, you know, knowing everything was the way that you're going to get through the world. So that's how I kind of condemn myself, through stupidity. So why are we afraid of looking stupid? It's the middle school feeling all over again. Do you remember that middle school feeling that lonely at lunch feeling, who am I going to sit with? So we take it as a sign that we're not like the other kids who look like extremely competent, confident adults, right? We force our insides, our outsides, to look coolly adult while our insides are struggling to keep up, just to keep it all together, to keep life from falling down around us. So the Athenians in the first century AD were just like us. They were the pinnacle of Western intellectualism. They didn't want to look like they didn't know all the gods that there were to know. So we heard in the reading that Courtney did today on Acts 17 that the Athenians built a statue to the just-in-case god so they wouldn't look stupid if they missed one. <laughs> when the Stoics and the Epicureans hear St. Paul preach the good news, they actually call him a moron. They're like, that's ridiculous. That's foolish. But St. Paul meets them where they are, and he says, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. 
For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I have found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. So take just a little second in your own mind and think about if St. Paul was taking a little walk around your life and looking at the statues that you've built in your life, what would he see? The God of appearances, of confidence, of intelligence, making our kids the center of life maybe, or ourselves, self-sufficiency, pride. What statues would he see? And then what is this unknown God that Paul proclaims? You know, I meet with people that come to me wondering about faith. They don't want to do it here in the sanctuary. They want to talk privately about it. But most say when they have heard sermons or scripture or maybe even started back with their youth minister, their youth leader, they never felt included. They didn't know what we were talking about. They didn't know what it was about. They watch God around them. They watch people around them worshiping a God that they feel is unknown to them. How do you get to know this God? Why do other people seem to know God and I don't? What am I missing? Am I just not good enough? So in Athens, on the Areopagus, which is an open-air outcropping of rock below the Acropolis, it's not, I thought it was a big building, it's actually just a, like a bowl-shaped rock, St. Paul gave us the Christian faith in a nutshell. So if you're wondering if you've missed it, don't miss this one. It's addressed to you. It has your name on it. You're included. He said, The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals, all mortals, that's you, all mortals, life and breath and all things. So first of all, God doesn't need the human race to run errands for him, as if he couldn't take care of himself. Whatever you've been told that you need to do for God so that he'll love you, think again. It is his pleasure to love you as his creature. He gave you life and breath and all things. No divine errand running is necessary to be created or loved. You live at the pleasure of your creator. So Paul goes on. They would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. So he's saying that our eyes cannot see that we are actually swimming in the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, here with us. So it's like the joke you may know, you might have heard. Two young fish are swimming along, they begin, and they meet an older fish. The older fish is swimming the other way. The older fish nods at them and says, Morning, boys, how's the water? And as the two young fish swim on for a bit, they eventually, one of them looks at the other one and says, What the heck is water? So if you're groping to find God, he has already found you. He's the water you're swimming in. You are part of God's heart. You are in God and he is in you. 
So Paul finishes his sermon by telling the Athenians that God has overlooked the times of human ignorance. All those times where you have felt so stupid, he's overlooked those. And made a promise to all people of his presence, of his presence with you by raising the anointed Savior from the dead. So at this point, the Athenians laugh Paul off the rock. Raised from the dead, you're just going too far. You went too far. That seems a stupidity. And then trusting in this God seems foolish. Robert Capon wrote, it is the faith of losers as opposed to the knowing of winners. It's about trust in this absent God, in the mystery of the incarnate Lord who hides in the least, the lowest, and who's the one person who matters. So this is what the Athenians missed. And in our ignorance, we do too. What is faith? It's to trust that his message of love and grace is for you. So if you're afraid of doing something stupid like trusting Christ, look around you and see how many people are being stupid with you. This is the foolishness of the cross. It looks foolish to believe that God could care for you so much that he would come to us in human form to prove his love by dying on the cross to be raised again. Foolish, but life-saving. Foolish, but at the center of the gravity of life. Faith is trust in a person's word, and you have his word that it was for grace alone and not for your ability to pay him back or satisfy any behavior standard to earn his love, redemption, and forgiveness. So give it up. You can look foolish here. We can do it together. We'll save your life. So by way of wrapping up, I just have to quote this. Just humor me. It's from... Sarah Condon, who writes for Mockingbird, she's one of my favorite people in the whole world. She wrote this in Churchy, and it's, it's so powerful, I wanted to share it with you. So she writes, it's worth noting that the devil will impute horrible things to those we love and to us. In moments of deep pain and sin, he will lean in and whisper, not good enough, we'll never measure up needs more work. This line of thought will get into your bones and impute only desperate loneliness. The imputation of Jesus Christ speaks a word over us that says righteous, beloved, forgiven. We are made holy through his holiness. We cannot let evil tell us otherwise. I cannot pray these words from Martin Luther enough. So when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this, I admit I deserve death and hell, what of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God, and where he is, there I shall be also. Amen.